even if you don't. You see that song right there is all about trust. And I'm glad the Lord laid that song on his heart to sing this morning because as we've been going through the book of 1 Peter, that's really what it's about, right? When you have a group of people right here that Peter is addressing that are in the midst of some of the most awful persecution that you can imagine, and Peter is encouraging them through the truth of God's word to trust him. Thank you for singing that, Lance. I, uh, I love that song. Last week we celebrated Father's Day and we kind of stepped away from 1 Peter a little bit. Well, this week is going to mark a return to our walk through the book of 1 Peter. Now, we hadn't covered a lot in terms of cha uh, chapters, uh, but Peter has covered a lot of ground here in the first chapter of 1 Peter, but today we're going to wrap up the first chapter. Now, this may be an oversimplified summary uh, of what Peter has covered thus far. But basically, he has encouraged believers here in the first century by reminding them of their eternal inheritance in spite of everything that's going on. He's reminding them of uh, the fact that in spite of their present persecution, in spite of their seemingly constant chaos and madness that is going on within their lives that they are saved. Now think about that for a minute. I don't want to trip over this cord. Now I know we're not experiencing the same things that this first century church was experiencing, but I want you to think about the madness and the chaos going on in our world right now. It can be troubling, right? But think about this, Peter is reminding them that their present situation, what's going on in their lives right now, uh, their tumultuous, uh, tumultuous life, if you will, that they're experiencing, that they're living, is not forever. Nor is it an eternal death sentence. We're so finite as, as fleshly beings, we think when the body dies that, you know, we've got to do all these different things within our time here on earth, the accomplishments and all these different things where in fact they are irrelevant when it comes to eternity. The only thing that is relevant is what you do for the Lord Jesus Christ. He's reminding them here that their soul has been purchased with a ransom. You remember we talked about that uh, a couple of weeks ago, the last time we were here, it's purchased with a ransom that neither the richest men in the world nor the most powerful rulers in the world could afford. The only one who could afford it or even had the authority to issue payment was Jesus. And he paid for it with his blood. 
Now, I'm going to tell you what. That is a reason to rejoice. You know, I've talked about before how the Apostle Paul uses the phrase Abba Father when he talks about God when you were uh, uh, when you were born again and you become a part of the family of God he is referred to as Abba Father Daddy He's the one that can afford it He's the one that has authority to issue payment so Peter went on to tell us as we went through here a few weeks ago, he began to tell us how we should live out our time here on earth in response to who God is. How we should live our life here in response to Him continually pouring out grace and pouring out mercy upon us. He did all these things through the Lord Jesus Christ. What did He say? Be holy, for I am holy. Live holy, for I am holy. Remember, he's telling them this in the midst of all different kinds of chaos and persecution and turmoil. Be holy, because he is indeed holy. I preached a message not too long ago, actually been probably a while, from, uh, from Isaiah where it, it gives a beautiful picture of just uh, the, the magnificence and the, and, the, and the sovereignty and the holiness of God. Where he's ushered into the throne room and he can see all these different things. As we've been going through the book of Revelation, Adrian, we, we, we saw at the beginning of that where, where John can see the throne room of God. I can just imagine 90-year-old John trying to, to write down what he's seeing. Even though he does give us a very vivid description of it, I, I can't imagine trying to put that in words. I believe it surpasses words. Now today, Peter is going to talk about uh, the power of love by the endurance of uh, the enduring word of God. Enduring means it'll last. He's going to talk about the fact that we cannot love people the way that God intends for us to love people without first surrendering our life's will to His. By repenting of our sins and leaving that old life behind and being a born again and filled with the same Spirit that filled the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, you see that's the only way you're going to be able to love is to have His Spirit. When I say love, I'm not talking about our uh, weak understanding of love. I'm talking about God's understanding of love. The only way that you can do that is having His Spirit inside of you. After doing that, we must be constantly fed by the life-changing, by the nurturing, by the mind-transforming authority of the Word of God. It's only then that we can love or we are even able to love others the way God intends for us to. 
And that includes those we may not want to love. Let's look at what Peter writes here in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22. We're going to read the rest of chapter 1, which is four verses. And then we're going to read three verses here at the beginning of chapter 2. So when you got it, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Stand to your feet to honor the reading of God's word, please. He said this. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the Word of God which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass, the grass withers, and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed... You have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Father God, we thank, thank you this morning, Lord, for your word. God, I pray that each and every one within the sound of my voice, Father, would open their mind, Lord, that they might be fed from your word. Lord, that they might grow, grow in you. Lord, if there be one here within the sound of my voice that does not know you, Lord, I pray that your word convicts them. Lord, I pray that they understand through it, Father, their need for a Savior. Lord, they might give their life to you. God, place your thoughts in my head, Father, your words in my mouth. Lord, move Chad James out of the way. Father, that they might hear from you. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. By reading verse 22, we know right away who Peter is talking to here. We know that from his opening statement here in verse 22. Since you have purified your souls through the Spirit. Who is he talking to? He goes on to say after that, uh, what follows are uh, instructions for believers. So that tells us who Peter is talking to when he, uh, as he begins here this thought in verse 22. He is talking to believers. His instructions that are following are for believers. They are for born-again Christians. They are for the church. They are for us. Now understanding that the Apostle Peter here is, is talking to you and me, he tells us to love each other fervently. When we think about that word fervently, we need to understand what it means. It means stretched 
to the limits. A love so intense, we've got to love our brothers so intensely that it stretches us to our limits. What is that? What is a love that stretches you to your limits? What is a love that stretches one to its limits? Well, we don't have to look any farther than the Lord Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 44, Jesus is praying in the garden. We preached not too long ago about uh, uh, the, the events in the garden, the different postures of Jesus' prayer in the garden. And when Jesus is praying in the garden, in Luke's account in chapter 22, he's praying in love. And it says that his sweat became as drops of blood. This is a love uh, that is so intense that he is willing to endure the wrath of God for our sake. But what we really need to grasp is it's not just for our sake. And when I say our, I'm talking about believers. I'm, not, uh, I'm talking about the church, but it's not just for our sake too. You know, he went to that cross for everybody else. You remember I made that statement earlier, we need to love those that we don't want to love. The Lord Jesus Christ did what he did, not just for all uh, uh, the, the, the Southern Baptists or the Pentecostals or whoever. He did what he did, not just for those people, but he did that for the drug dealer down on the corner. He did that for the terrorist over in another part of the world. He loved Fervently. Only those who have been purified. Peter used the word purified here. Uh, Peter says, uh, i.e., when we say uh, purified, we're talking about those that are saved. Filled with the same spirit Jesus was filled with in that garden. You see, it's only those that Peter says when he uses uh, the word purified here, being filled with the same spirit that filled Jesus, only these have the capacity to love like that. Well, how can you say that? I mentioned earlier about uh, some of our weak human um, fleshly uh, ideas that uh, love is, is something different. When, when, when the Lord displays His love, it is an action. It is something that um, you, you do for others that you meet them at the point of their need. If you're not filled with that same Spirit, you're not going to be able to love like that. Fervent love. Stretched to the limits. In verse 23, Peter uh, goes on to tell us that we are born again, not of a corruptible seed, a seed that is going to fade away, that is going to die. The spiritual life implanted by the seed of the Holy Spirit is there to produce new birth. The thing we need to remember about that is that it is unfailing and it is permanent. 
He goes on to say in this verse that uh, we are born again through the Word of God. You see, the Holy Spirit uses uh, the, the, the Word to produce life. You see, it is the truth of the gospel that saves. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, he said this, this, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You see, we're saved at the moment uh, of surrender and we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. This is according to Paul in Ephesians chapter 1. We're, we're saved at that moment we surrender. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit. But unless one hears the truth of the gospel first, they aren't going to realize their need for a Savior. How many of you remember Peter's visit with Cornelius when we went through uh, the study in the book of Acts? The Holy Spirit was already drawing Cornelius, right? But the Scripture tells us that they didn't get saved, they didn't get filled with the Holy Spirit until Peter went and shared the gospel with them. And once we are saved, we must continually feed our spirit and we must continually feed our mind with God's Word. That way we can continually grow and be sanctified throughout our life. Now, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on sanctified. That's probably a whole other sermon in and of itself when we talk about the process of sanctification. I'll give you this much. That's something that goes on throughout your whole life. But the one thing we need to take from this, this food of God's Word that we feed our spirit and that we feed our minds with, this food ain't going to run out. It's going to last forever. It lives and it abides forever. In verses 24 and 25, I don't know if your Bible, uh, how it's printed there, but it may be, um, have that in italics, these words in 24 and 25, they may have it separated real narrow in the middle. But the reason it is like that is because Peter is quoting from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 through eight. And he quotes this to enforce his point about the power of God's word to regenerate, to bring to life. In that passage, when you go back and you read it, or you can read it right here when you read it from Isaiah, uh, uh, Isaiah elaborates and he's using plants here as an analogy to show us how transitory humanity is. What are you talking about, preacher? How humanity is here today and it's gone tomorrow. Everything related to humanity, to flesh, to mankind, is passing in nature. Everything. 
When we understand that truth here given by Isaiah, now here quoted again by Peter, when we understand that, we've got to ask our question, why on earth would I entrust my life and the lives of my loved ones and the lives of the people in this church to something so fragile? The Word of God lives and abides forever. My wife had a dream the other night, a very vivid dream in which, uh, as we've been studying about uh, the book of Revelation and, and different things, and we talk about the false prophets, and indeed there are false prophets in this world today. And they operate much like Satan did when he tempted the Lord Jesus. They take God's word and they leave parts out of it. They pick and choose and they put different things in it. And in her dream, this false prophet is, is, is speaking and he's, he, he's saying all the wrong things, wrong according to what God's Word says, and the only thing we could respond with was, Heaven and earth shall pass away. But God's Word is forever. So when we ask ourselves that question, why, why, do, we, why do we entrust uh, so much of our lives into something that is going to pass away? and that being humanity, things of humanity. If you study history, you see where governments rise and they fall, and countries rise and they fall, and man's uh, uh, temples to idols rise and they fall. Peter's encouraging us here. We need to put our trust in something that is going to live and is going to abide forever. So now that we understand the role of God's Word in salvation and the road, uh, role of God's Word in sanctification, we can look at Peter's instructions here in these first three verses of chapter 2. Verse 1 of chapter 2, he starts off with that word, Therefore, we all know that when he, we see that word, it is because of the understanding of what we just read in the few verses right there, because of the understanding of that word and what God's word is and who he is, we should lay aside. I want you to listen to this. The Christian's new life cannot grow unless sin is renounced. That's why he said repent. That's what it is. Repentance. You turn away from it. Don't do it again. Go and sin no more. What, is, what did Jesus tell every time when he was, would heal someone? I think about the woman that they wanted to stone. What did Jesus always say? Go. Sin no more. You see, our flesh complicates that. It's pretty straightforward, right? Go, sin no more. Yeah, but I kind of like, uh, like to do this. Uh, I kind of want to do that. Our new life as a believer cannot grow unless these sins 
are repented of unless they are renounced. And when that purging takes place, when that uh, renouncement or that, that repentance take pl- takes place, the Word does its work. And we're going to look at that here in verse 2. But before we do that, I want to look at the word malice that he uses in this f- first phrase in chapter 2. Therefore, laying aside all malice. I want to think about that word here for just a second. Now this is the Greek word for evil that is used 11 times in the New Testament. And it is used to indicate evil, wickedness that comes from within a person. It's there to remind us that This must be purged if one is to grow spiritually. And the Word of God helps us do that. I always try to stress, always, is that as a believer, you've got to stay in God's Word. If the only time you open it is here on Sunday morning when the preacher says turn to such and such book, such and such chapter, you're not growing. That's why we have copies to bring home. We even got it on the phone. You've got to stay in God's Word if you expect to grow, if you expect to be sanctified. Look at verse 2. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the Word, that you may grow thereby. As a new Christian, we should desire God's Word as much as a newborn baby desires the nourishment of his mother's milk. We should crave, we should delight in it with the same intensity as that baby in his mother's milk. Now I want you to think about that. Peter uses this analogy right here. I got to speak from experience. When my boys were little and they were hungry and they wanted something to eat and they were craving that nourishment they would scream. Their face would get as red as Nikki's shirt and they were mad. You thought they were mad. They were craving that nourishment. Just, ah! Ah! Y'all have heard little ones do that. They'll scream till they run completely out of breath and then it's like it's a long pause. Until you put that bottle in their mouth. And then what do they do? (laughs) Peter uses that analogy because as a Christian, that's the way we should be for God's Word. We should crave it that much. And then when we get into it and we, we study it, we should be that like that baby who after the mama put the bottle in his mouth, he starts going. <laughs> that is the sound of delight. 
That is a sound that your craving has been satisfied. A growing Christian develops a desire for the truth of God's word by doing five things. And don't sit there and worry and go, oh my gosh, he's fixing to go to five points right here. I'm not. But a growing uh, Christian develops that desire for uh, the truth that is within God's word by remembering it is your life source. Secondly, we need to, uh, we, we develop that desire for it by eliminating sin from our lives. Sin can be quite the distraction, right? Thirdly, we develop that desire for the truth of God's word by admitting that we need it. Jesus said that man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We need it. We can't just live on the food that we cram in our mouths. That's not what he's talking about. We got to have more than that just to truly live. We've got to have every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now this is very important. He said that in Matthew chapter 4 verse 4. But what he was actually doing was quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 3. What does that tell us? It's pretty important. It's been around for a long, long time. The fourth thing we can do uh, that will develop a desire for the truth of God's Word is pursue spiritual growth. Actively go after it. He tells us, seek me and you're going to find me. First, you've got to seek me. Pursue it. And lastly, and I, I think this is a lesson we can all learn that would help us develop a desire for more of God's Word. And quite frankly, myself included, I think this is something that we don't do enough of. And that is surveying. All of the blessings that he's given us. We too often want to focus on the, on the bad stuff about what I ain't got and what's going wrong and what's going bad instead of looking at what he has blessed you with. You see, it's all about a mindset. When we start thinking that way, then it'll desire, make us uh, uh, desire his word and his goodness more. Don't be an ironclad pessimist. Oh my goodness. You know what that is? Somebody's always looking at the negative things. In the last verse, he said this. It doesn't sound like a whole lot, but I want you to think, really think about these words. 
if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. If indeed. If indeed you are saved. You see, that's a question that each individual that reads this has got to ask themselves. We've read all of that. We've read about how we should love people according to God's word and in response to who he is. And we've read about uh, the endurance of God's word, how it lives and it abides forever. We, we've read about uh, the things that we need to lay aside. And we, we've read about how we should desire God's word and the truth of it like a baby uh, desires its mother's milk. So having read all of that, he says, if indeed. So as we read that, we need to ask our question, if indeed I am saved. That salvation all believers experience how gracious the Lord is to those who trust Him. Why is that? Because we realize what we are. We realize who He is. And we realize that we need Him. Not only to save us, but to live out a life on this earth that pleases Him, that is according to His will. You see, when we think about that grace, See, this is, where, this is where each individual person has to really reflect on who they are. You can't paint this with a broad, a broad stroke. Each individual person has to look at this. They have to look inside at their heart. Think about who they are. Think about what they are. And that's a sinner. And then we begin to think about what Jesus did in spite of that. If indeed you have tasted the Lord is gracious. You see, that grace alone should compel us to seek more. We do that by pursuing his word. Would you stand with me? Mr. Roger and Mr. Lance are coming up here to play and sing. I want all of you to bow your head, close your eyes. And I want you to think about your life, I want you to think about your experience with the Lord. And I want you to think about what Peter just said right here. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. I want you to ask, you that, ask yourself that question. Have I indeed? 
tasted that the Lord is gracious? I don't know that answer. That's between you and the Lord. But as they play and sing, I want you to examine and ask yourself that question. And if you can't answer with an affirmative yes, I have tasted that the Lord is gracious, then you're lost. You need to get saved. So as Lance and Mr. Roger play and sing, ask yourself that question. If indeed, Invitation never closes. Ever. It never does. We, uh, we're going to continue our um, revelation study tonight. And I wanted to ask y'all, we only got a couple of chapters left. And I don't know if you've read the back of the book. <laughs> I don't know if you've read the back of the book, but Everything as a believer, as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, everything culminates there. This is the goal. This is what we're striving for. So having said that, y'all know we've, for the last little while we have been, myself and Adrian and Cassandra and J.W. and Jeff, different ones, uh, have been meeting over there to record. As we come to a close of this study in Revelation, uh, how many of y'all would want to come in here uh, tonight as we close that out? we got plenty of room. We can spread out. I know a lot of people, and the reason I say that, because this is such, a, it's such an important last couple of chapters in the Word of God. A lot of people may want to say something. 
And when you're sitting there and that camera's on, you don't want to say nothing. So I want to give everybody an opportunity, those who have been coming to our adult Bible study, if you want to come in here and spread out and we can do these last couple of chapters here tonight, uh, I believe we'll do that.